Thanks, choir. Thanks, Jeff. And Jeff's uh, got some of his family here this morning, and uh, his kids, and uh, his brother's here, and his children. And so, uh, good to see you all, and welcome. And uh, happy birthday, and uh, thank you for all that you do in the ministry of this church. We're continuing our, our sermon series on short stories, parables of Jesus, a few of the selected uh, or parables that have been selected. Jesus, this morning uh, we are looking at a parable about uh, a person that the Bible describes as a, a fool. And uh, it's uncomfortable to hear that. None of us want to be called foolish or a fool. It uh, kind of jolts us even when we see uh, those words used to describe somebody in a story. The parable starts as many of Jesus' parables start with uh, an encounter that Jesus has. This time the, uh, the encounter is a disconnect, if you will, or somewhat disconnected. Because Jesus is speaking to a crowd of people, and out of the crowd, somebody hollers a request, uh, a petition to Jesus, that he solve a specific problem that he is trying to deal with. And so, not unusually, particularly in the uh, Gospel of Luke, Jesus uh, redirects the request by telling a story and gets to uh, different hearts of the matter, not only as it relates to the person who shouts out, but as it really relates to all of us. So here, the uh, parable of the rich fool from Luke 12, verses 13 through 21. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But he said to him, Friend, who set me to be judge or arbiter over you? And he said to them, Take care, be on your guard against all kinds of greed, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Then he told them a parable. The land of a rich man produced abundantly. And he thought to himself, what should I do? For I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store up my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life is being demanded of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is with those who store up treasures for themselves, but are not rich toward God. That's God's word for us this morning. More than likely, the guy who hollered out 
in the, uh, out of the crowd and, and ask Jesus to judge who gets the inheritance. More than likely, that was a younger brother in a, in a household where the head of the household, the father, had died, passed away. There more than likely, or certainly the younger brother was perceiving that there was going to be a battle over the inheritance. He had an inheritance that was rightfully supposed to come to him by Jewish law. And obviously he had some concern that he wasn't going to get what he thought he deserved or what he indeed did deserve. So he asked Jesus to serve as judge, as arbiter. Jesus takes the occasion to tell us this story about a rich man. And in so doing, he points us to several things as it relates to possessions. First of all, he points us to a preoccupation with possessions. The parable pushes us into searching a searching reflection on the meaning of life, the meaning of our life, of your life. Is life really whoever dies with the most toys wins? Do we need to be reminded that there is no U-Haul behind the hearse? It challenges us to reflect on the meaning of life. Some of you will remember Madonna as she was rising to fame and to fortune uh, and and, uh, had one of her hit songs, Material Girl. After that song came out, she did an interview with a Rolling Stone magazine, as I recall. And in that interview... She was asked about her image as the material girl. It wasn't just a song. It had become her persona. You know, that's who people perceived who she was. And the interviewer asked her the, the questions. Well, how much do you want? Do you really want it all? And Madonna replied, I don't want it all. I just want enough. And the interviewer said, well, how much is enough? And she said, just a little bit more. Now, yesterday I had a memorial service at uh, the Rossville Cemetery in Rossville. And it was for Juanita Cornwell. And some of you may remember, Juanita hasn't been a part of this church for about 30 years or so now. She moved to Arizona. She and Frank some years ago, but was very active for a a long time in this church. And as I was uh, standing there and we had different family members that that wanted to speak and did speak as a part of the service, and I was reminded of countless numbers of funerals that I have done where family members have spoken. And, And I cannot recall in a single instance where that family member started talking about how much money the person who died had. I can't, I can't remember a single incident. And, and that didn't happen yesterday. Uh, the stories that were shared were, were not about the affluence of, of the life that Juanita had. The stories were, were about family things 
about family remembrances. So her sister said, I can remember when I was a little girl and I could run really fast. And I always had been able, and even when I got to high school, I was a really fast runner. And any time I would get in trouble, I would run out the door, and I was younger than my sister. But any time I'd get in trouble with my mom, I'd run out the door. And my mom invariably would say, Juanita, go get her. And she'd chase me around the house. And I used to count how many times I could run around the house before my older sister caught me. She said my record was two and a half times. That's what she remembered. We tend to get preoccupied with, with what we own or, we think, or, or what we think we own. And you've got to ask the question, of yourself, and I certainly ask it of myself from time to time, uh, do you own those possessions or do your possessions own you? The house that you have, you, you've got to have it insured. Um, the cars you have, those are insured. More than likely, both of the reasons that you have insurance is because somebody else who has the mortgage on uh, or the, uh, the loan on the cars or the mortgage on the house is requiring you to have insurance. You've got to buy a lawnmower for your, you know, cut the grass. But then after you buy the lawnmower, then you've you got to have somebody. You've got to have a lawnmower service, you know, somewhere you can take the lawnmower to get it fixed. You've got to have somebody you can call to fix the heating and air conditioning or enough time and talent on yourself to take the time to do that. And the list goes on and on and on. And at some point... You might ask yourself, well, do I really own these things? Or do they own me? Points us to a preoccupation with possessions. Second thing it points us to, this parable, security and self-sufficiency. See, the parable allows us to see the ultimate extension of the common prideful inclination to think that we make it on our own. That if it is to be, it's up to me. I am the master of my universe. Or at least uh, my galaxy or maybe planet or you know, maybe, maybe we're even smaller than that if you're like me. And maybe I just hope for an asteroid or something like that. But the idea that we are self-sufficient or the idea that can invade our thinking, that we are in control and that whatever problem arises, I can handle it. I don't need any help. So we may believe in God, but God becomes a convenience. It's like the insurance policy. So if we get in over our heads or the crisis seems to be too great or the trouble seems to be overwhelming, uh, we've got God safely tucked away somewhere on some shelf of our life. And in that moment, we go searching. And hopefully the closet is well enough organized that we can find God and pull him off the shelf 
And then plead, God, I haven't talked to you in a while, but is there anything you can do now? Truth of the matter is, because we talk to God so infrequently, we probably wouldn't hear the answer even if God gave us an answer. We just wouldn't know how to listen. Because we haven't taken the time to learn how to pray. Parable dispels any notion that that we're uh, self-sufficient. That we are not totally reliant on God and reliant on the people that God puts in our life. Our family, our friends, people around us. That we need to say thanks, uh, thanks be to God for these folks that are in my life. It points us uh, to the idea of uh, hedonism, which is another way of saying eat, drink, and be merry. I've got enough. I get stuff in the mail on a fairly routine basis now, largely based on my age, approaching uh, you know, retirement time. And I get things in the mail inviting me to seminars. Usually it's, it involves a dinner invitation uh, or dessert or something. Come to this and learn how you can increase your wealth. Learn how you can eat, drink, and be merry for the rest of your life. Invest with me and I'll build you a bigger barn that you'll have even more. And that you won't have to worry about anything because there'll be enough of everything. Eat, drink, and be merry. Jesus didn't think those words up. That was a philosophy that existed in Greek culture before Jesus was ever born. Epicureanism, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow may never come. Don't worry about it. Spend whatever you have and, uh, and try to get as much as you can so you can spend as much as you can without worry. The rich man revels in his prosperity because he envisions that he can eat, drink, and be merry. But here's what happens. The grasp of greed has taken away any compassion that he may once have had. Because you see, you notice in the parable, it never, ever is mentioned that the man is thinking about anybody else other than himself. I've got all this stuff, and I need to make sure I store it all. So they'll have plenty, uh, plenty of stuff in the future to eat, drink, and be merry. I don't have to rely on anybody. I don't have to care about anybody. There's no, no mention of compassion anywhere in this story. The man's greed has robbed him of the opportunity, has stolen uh, his compassion, eaten it away. So that the notion or idea of all this abundance that I have, all all this stuff that I have, maybe I can use it to help somebody else. Maybe I can use it to help the ministry of the church. Maybe I can point to something besides what I want, not what I need, but what I want, 
and ask myself, is there a way that I can use what God has given me to help somebody who needs help? And finally, there's a practical atheism that's involved in this story. Because you see, the rich man may protest that he's always believed in God. But when it comes to managing his life, how he actually lives his life, dealing with his possessions, planning for his future, he lives as if there was no God. No matter what he may profess, no matter what you may profess, if you don't, if your life does not reflect what you say you believe, do you really believe it? If you believe in the Savior, in Jesus Christ, and in serving in Christ's name, you say that, you confess that, Jesus is my Lord, Jesus is my Savior, but there's no evidence of that in your life anywhere. Do you really believe it? Practical atheism. You know, in our country, 90% of the uh, folks still to this day, we are the, the, uh, by far the most religious industrialized nation in the world. So still, even in this day, no matter what poll, no matter who, who is asking the question, uh, do you believe in a higher power? Do you believe in, in a God? Uh, almost 90% of the people in our country say yes. Yes. But how do we practically live that out? What in our life reflects our belief? What in your life reflects your confession of faith in Jesus Christ? Well, Jesus points us in all these things, his preoccupation with possession, security, uh, you know, the false security in, in belief that we are self-sufficient, that we're in control. The idea that, that, we, uh, that everything revolves around us so that I should acquire as much as I can so I can eat, drink, and be merry. The grasp of greed that can invade our life, take over our life, and this, this idea of a practical atheism, this anxiety that we have about possessions, how we're going to use them, or if we have enough. Anxiety reflects, reflects a lack of trust in God. A lack of interest in God's kingdom, the, re, the reign of God. How we're going to live out our life, how we're going to contribute to that. A lack of generosity toward those in need. And Jesus continues to remind us, to encourage us, exhort us, seek the kingdom in the firm belief, seek God's reign in the firm belief that it's God's desire to give it to you. God's desire that you be a citizen a welcomed citizen of the kingdom.
God receives you in God's righteousness to do the greater things of God through Jesus Christ in your life. Let's pray together. Gracious and loving God, we thank you for your patience with us. And Lord, we pray for your direction, for your protection, and for your correction in our life as we seek to live out that which we say we believe. God, help us to be faithful. In everything that we do, in everything that we say, and in everything we are, in the name of Jesus Christ, amen.